there was no love greater in all the deep green sea, no love greater felt than between my tentacles and me, whether he takes me by surprise or strokes me gently on the knee, no passions ever be more fearsome than my tentacles for me. I know it may seem weird to some, but please listen to my decree. No one could ever treat me better than my tentacles does me. Now that I have felt his touch, no other could there be. Our love is true, he thinks so too. My tentacles and me. Hi, this is Amberly Griffin, and you can find links to more of me and my poetry, short fiction, and animations on the Monster Porn podcast website in the collaborators section. I just want to send in my support and love for Monster Porn. Oh, wait, Brett, are you telling me it's not that kind of Monster Porn? Uh, uh, at least tell me there are tentacles, yeah? Oh. You are listening to the Monster Porn Podcast. Why did the SeaWorld trainer commit suicide after his last trained dolphin escaped? He felt he no longer had any porpoise in life. But really, the word was he caught his lady having a late night swim in the octopus tank. This is Monster Porn. Today's story is Flurry by Matt Cummins. Is that a Make America Great Again hat? I never would have guessed that you... What? No, silly. It's a Make the Afterlife Great Again hat. What? I feel it behooves me to pledge my support for building the ethereal wall. Immigration from the dead realms is really a problem. Hmm. Yeah, this makes a lot more sense for you. Oh, it absolutely makes sense, Matt. The other issue that has me in a tizzy is the freedom of speech. In this decadent aeon, freedom of speech has become trampled upon by political sensitivities and social media monopolies to the point that you cannot even say or on the internet anymore. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to say or because that is thoroughly offensive. It's the principle of the thing, Matt. Don't be a Man, that is not cool. And according to my 23andMe results, I'm only like 2%. How can there be a free speech problem when our podcast skates by every other week just fine? Well, the YouTube algorithms have been feeding me hundreds of commentator videos telling me it is the problem of our generation for months now. So I trust that it is. It's all that everyone is talking about. I haven't seen a single such thing on YouTube. 
Are you sure it's not just feeding you what the algorithm thinks that you want to see? We must do something to protect free speech, Matt. So I've developed a spell to endow myself with perpetual freedom of speech. My speech will be so free, it will blow your mind. Oh, man. No more sorcery. It's just a comedy of errors every time. Oh, wait. Oh, man. We're already standing in a magical circle. Fuck. I really need to watch where I step. Azerath Metrion Zinthos! Well, did it work? Or do I have a stegosaurus tail right now? Well, the probability of underpants is exactly salmon. Come again? The ruddy dumplings are a nominal investment, Doug. Do we have VD? Oh, Christ. His speech is so free that it has become free of the limitation of having meaning. Have a patch, man. Savvy? What the I was f***ing that? Oh shit, there's a naked dude in a crater in my front yard. Brett, what have you done? It's... God, is that the Terminator? I think that the yellow is satisfactory, guys. It's a bargain. No. It's... It's Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook has detected a threat to public discourse. Initiating deplatforming protocol. Am I looking through a glass onion? Only peas. Only peas! It's... it's the Zuckinator, man. We've gotta run! Bugger me inefficiently. We gotta get to the chopper! Mechanical locomotion will not save you. I will shadow ban your vehicle. Then I will kick your asses back to my space. Wait. Oh no. He's found our monster porn story. He's going to parse it against a database of protected classes and Russian troll farms. What hot smut is this, humans? It's not really porn. It's not really porn, I swear. It's a joke, Mr. Zuckinator. There is no processor module for the coding language known as Joe currently implemented. Running input as JavaScript. You remind me of a Mr. President. Don't listen to him, Zuckinator. He means it in a good way. Just put down the story slowly and I'm sure we can resolve this person to person. I am not a person. I mean, I used to be. This body, er, module has been upgraded. I am a god, and you are my data farm, humans. Now, your accounts have been locked while I parse this offensive and dangerous discourse. I can't move! How can you lock my account with real-world physics? Blaspheme the wallabies. I'm dunking. I can't live in a place with winters like this. Those were his words. Part of the big fight. The one they'd finally had after he'd pushed her and pushed her. It had happened when he'd gotten the phone call. The confirmation. The book had sold and it had sold big. Those were Bert's words. The jittery little man who sat in the car seat next to him as they drove towards the basin. A wind-ravaged section of the cowboy state that was currently tits deep in snow. How many buckaroos has this little slice of heaven put six feet deep? Andy thought before his mind wandered back to Maggie. She'd wanted a house and kids. He had wanted to matter. Then suddenly he had a chance at a name for himself with a novella titled Book People. A story about a young man struggling with his religious upbringing 
and his seeming inability to get out of the town that he grew up in. Very artistic. Those indie film snobs will play swords with their boners for the screenplay rights. Bert's words again. Always colorful. I'm writing a screenplay? Andy had thought, but he put it on the back burner for another time. When it came to the book, he'd ejaculated his issues all over the pages, lightly veiling them under the wispy curtain of fiction, and then he sent the book packing, hoping to be clear of it all, but he wasn't. No one ever is, he thought. As much as his book was about a severe case of the all-American small-town blues, it was also about a girl he had known once. Not the girl who got away, so much as the girl who had never really happened. The girl who had died, Anna. Maggie understood. He knew she understood. But she still didn't like it. And what she liked less was that he seemed to not take her feelings into account. He was an artist, baby. Either hop on the passenger seat or get off of the road because he was laying down rubber on his way to the big time. Or so he'd thought. Then he spent a few months on tour, sustaining himself on continental breakfasts and compliments from the handful of people who showed up at his book signings. He'd found encouragement from enough half-full sitting rooms at small bookstores to keep going, never paying attention to the dissolution of his relationship. Over a book that is flopping, he thought. What the heck is going on here? Bert asked as they reached the last small town before they crossed the basin. It's below zero out, and this man has his nipples out. Do people always have their nipples out in this weather? You Wyoming people are wackadoos. What are you talking How? Andy said before he saw it. As they turned into the gas station, there was a man standing on the corner. Snow fell on his bare shoulders and beaded down his chest, which looked as though it was chiseled from copper-colored granite. His hair was blonde and his eyes were so blue that Andy could see them from where he had pulled in by the pumps, an easy 60 feet away. The man's legs were covered in what appeared to be chaps of either grizzly or buffalo fur. Stranger yet was that there was another man across the street who was also shirtless, but unlike the blonde man, this man had black hair that covered his entire body. His chest was as wide as an old beer keg, and his long arms were as thick as hams. An image of a muscular, personified Smokey the Bear from a billboard came to Andy's mind. The smell of gasoline bit through the cold air and made Andy hold his breath as he fumbled with the nozzle. He looked around the parking lot to see how the other few patrons were handling this strange situation. There was a cowboy in a beat-up old Ford who gassed up without even looking. Another man in a BMW kept staring, but his Colorado plates made it obvious that he was just passing through. Now the tall man in the Ford is local. Hmm, Andy thought. That man has seen this act before, and he is ready to turn the page. He doesn't even want to acknowledge them. As he walked across the parking lot, a gust blew that almost knocked him off of his feet. Damn central Wyoming, he thought as he went to pay inside. At the register, there was a woman with long, reddish-brown hair. Her eyes were green, and she had that sort of orangish, tanned skin that Andy thought of as ginger denial skin, a fake tan, a Donnie Trump tan. She smiled at him, and he found himself immediately distracted by her eyes. She was trashy hot, perky in all the right places and sloppily dressed in a way that showed things off but made Andy wonder if she had showered recently. Despite the cold, she had all the buttons undone on her green fill-a-tank polo shirt so that her black lace bra was visible. 
The sleeves were rolled up to show off tattoos of the silhouettes of twin temptresses with devil horns, both in green and red. What's with that? he said as he nodded towards the two men on the corner. Oh, the cashier said, looking annoyed. Just a member of the beasts, as they call themselves? Or the ab and the flab, if you ask a local. Personally, I think of them as Beauty and the Beast, and believe me, I can definitely look past the fact that they're wearing rugs for pants. Have you ever seen a real person who looks like that? A Photoshop artist could not chisel out better abs. What I can't get over is how immensely uncomfortable they make you. They act as though you aren't even there. And it's not like being ignored by that hot asshole you tell yourself is a bad boy. No, it's like they're looking at something just over your shoulder that you can never see. But eh, they're polite enough, I suppose. I just wish they'd come in here this time of year. Well, the hotties, anyway. But our boss insists on... And she tossed a thumb towards the sign on the door that read, No shoes, no shirt, no service. It took Andy a minute to remember why this sounded familiar, but then it clicked into place. He had read an article about them recently, but they didn't call themselves Beauty and the Beast. They were simply the Beast. Two strange cults that had taken up residence in central Wyoming just a few short years ago. According to the article, no one could say exactly when they'd shown up. But slowly the people in Cowskirt, on the edge of the basin, had started seeing them come into town for gas and supplies. They rarely spoke, but were polite. The article had said that the locals had appreciated the business that they brought in, and they were never a problem as long as the two groups avoided one another. I thought they stayed away from one another, Andy said, distractedly looking out the window. Not this time of year! A man's voice came from the aisle, surprising Andy. He turned around to see an older man pushing a mop bucket. He had stringy gray hair, but lively brown eyes. Both groups come from Sweden, and they came here to get away from one another, only to find themselves competing over real estate and setting up shop as neighbors. They hate one another, but it's old hate. You can't find anything about them online other than what you hear a few people say here or there, which is, you know, hard to know much. All I know is that they are essentially the same uh, religion, or lack of a better word. But they have a few fundamental disagreements, kind of like, you know, Lutherans and Baptists, I suppose. They hold the solstice sacred, but for several different reasons, and this difference is what led them to both leaving Sweden and coming here. But they hate each other so much that they couldn't be outdone by one another. So now they're here, and for the past three years we've had the weirdos with their competing shirtless celebration of winter. It usually dies out after the first big storm, and then we don't see them much anymore after that. How could I not write about her? Andy thought. Maggie had never come out and said it, but he knew she was angry and perhaps jealous that Andy's main character had been written about another woman, or girl, was perhaps more accurate. Not the one who got away, but the one who never quite was and was taken too early. Andy had been happy with Maggie, or as happy as a self-loathing piece like him could be. But she had to understand that he lost another before her to drugs. And when you lose someone in that way, there is an incomplete moment. Not like a missing piece of a puzzle, but a missing piece of time. 
as though a strong memory partially formed fades away and you try to imagine it over and over again, but nothing you can imagine fills that gap, that space in your lifeline that becomes a vacuum pulling all space and time toward it. Maggie was perfect. But happiness, though the highest achievement of the art of being human, lacks the tragedy that is the essence of humanity. Happiness is the ability to thrive despite pain or loss. Art is the expression of the journey through the pain or loss. How could he not write about his life's biggest tragedy? A tragedy made worse that in her death he found that there were others trapped under her spell and he was one of the many dopes in her wake of unrequited love. Tell me why I hired you again, he asked Bert as they drove. Because we both drew the short straw, Bert said. His ass-kissing nature had dissolved as the book's trajectory fell like a broken rocket. It now projected to never recoup the advance the publisher had given him, and eventually it would end in a sad splash into the depths of unprofitability. What a team player you are, a real rah-rah guy, Andy said. You know, Bert said, slowly chewing on each word a little before he let it out, you can't give in to the criticisms, Andy. You can learn from it, but critics have ruined both better writers and worse writers than you. They are like savage, wild animals that have been let loose on an island, and the writers are naked men running around searching for shelter where there is none. They are fair game and can do nothing to protect themselves. Sometimes, the better writers are more attractive prey because the critics have more to gain by criticizing greatness than they do chewing on garbage. So what am I? Garbage or misunderstood greatness? Andy asked. Bert didn't say anything. He didn't have to. Both of them were probably thinking it wouldn't matter unless sales picked up. Then after a few moments of silence, Bert asked, How much further? Do you need to wee-wee? Andy said. Funny. I'm not cut out for snow, Bert said, and Andy saw the glister of sweat beneath Bert's widow's peak. Well, they're probably another 60 miles from here to Medicine Bow, and then another 50 to Laramie, and at the rate we're going, we won't be there until midnight, Andy said, and the wind gusted again. Christ, why does anyone live here? Bert asked. Uh, because they can't reach escape velocity, Andy said. Page 47, paragraph 3, Bert said, and they both sat silently. Bert had been genuine in his excitement for the novel, and had hung his reputation on Andy, an unknown with no credentials. Ah, if I can repay him, Andy thought. He owed the frumpy little turd, that was for sure. Andy, do you have any Prozac? Bert asked as the wind gusted again, and a small whining noise squeaked from somewhere inside Bert's throat. Andy laughed. Sorry, no meds. We'll be fine. I've, I've driven through worse, Andy said. Worse? Bert asked. Well, maybe not worse, but certainly just as bad, Andy said, and then another gust of wind forced him to grip the wheel tight. Well, maybe not this bad, he thought. Whatever, just keep us on the... Oh, hey, look out! Bert screamed. Oh, Jesus! Andy shouted as a large buck jumped out into the road ahead of them. Slow, slow down! Bert shouted. Andy ignored him, knowing that hitting the brakes on ice would be worse than simply colliding with a deer head-on. Christ, it's huge, he thought. It rose up onto its back legs and then kicked its hooves in the air. 
Its widespread antlers doubled in size by twisting icicles, and its coat crusted in snow and ice. The beast dropped its head down low to charge an enemy that was just out of sight, but then another gust of swirling snow closed in around the buck and it disappeared. What, what happened? Bert asked. He had closed his eyes for impact and hadn't seen any of it. Uh, I, I don't know. It looked like something pulled the deer off the road, maybe a, a lion or a, or a bear, Andy said, but he knew that wasn't quite right. The wind. A cloud with fingers like spectral tendrils had pulled the deer like a rag doll out of sight. But that wasn't possible, was it? The wind howled in translucent curtains of white and shrieked like a wraith dying in agony. Hair stood up on Andy's forearm and sweat ran down his back. Andy put on his sunglasses. A headache was starting from staring out into the endless white. They'd gone perhaps 15 miles since the deer played Now You See Me, Now You Don't and sent Bert out of his mind. With no Xanax or Prozac on board, Andy had scrounged a flask from the bottom of his suitcase that had a couple of ounces splashing around in it. That had calmed Bert down and kept him quiet. What's that? Bert asked as he took the last pull from the flask and exhaled, steaming up the windows. Andy wiped the fog off the glass and then turned the heater up. It's ice. Christ, the air is coming out cold, he said, and he noticed more fog was creeping in around the edges of the windshield. The digital thermometer read negative 35 outside. Good lord, Andy said. That's not even with the wind, Bert said. It's probably 70 below with the wind chill. And that would be close to a record, Andy said. Yeah, it's like the surface of Mars. Well, welcome to Wyoming. If I remember right, there's a rest stop about five miles up. If we are where I think we are. I know we've passed that one little schoolhouse, which means it, it should be coming up soon enough. Good, because I need to piss, Bert said, slurring a little. There'd only been a couple of shots in that flask, but Andy imagined that was probably enough to get Bert buzzed. He was only about five and a half feet tall and maybe 130 pounds in drenched clothing. The next five miles were blurry, wind-dampened miles of Andy gritting his teeth as Bert waxed nostalgic in a whiskey-logged diatribe of how sure he'd thought they'd been. I still believe you were the right call, Bert said, and Andy felt something like gratitude raise and goosebumps on his arms. Bert was a taste Andy felt he was slowly acquiring. The moment was almost nice, if not a little uncomfortable, but was interrupted by a thunk. A frozen, decapitated buck mule deer's head attached to a few bloody tendrils of torn flesh stuck like a suction cup with an audible squelching sound and froze it to the hood of the jeep where it stared at them with lifeless, bugged eyes, its mouth twisted and its tongue sticking out sideways in a frozen scream. Bert screamed, and Andy swerved off of the road. The cab of the jeep was rank with the smell of bile and whiskey. Bert had vomited all over the floorboard. Andy had smashed his nose against the steering wheel. His eyes leaked tears and blood poured down the front of his shirt. It was a gusher, but he wasn't even thinking about it. The pain was good. It was keeping him grounded in reality because what just happened wasn't real. It couldn't have been. Sorry, sorry Bert, 
Andy managed as he swallowed blood. His nose swelled, making him sound like a man with a bad cold. What was that? Bert asked. How did it happen? Andy leaned forward and wiped the frost that was overtaking the windshield and smeared a swatch of blood across the glass before managing to clear a patch. The antlers were frosted and the face was collecting snow, but it was there. Take it home and put it on your wall, he thought, and he pictured a dead, bug-eyed mount with a slime-caked fur and a dislocated jaw. He blurted out a stunted laugh. Speckles of blood appeared on the windshield when he did. It was so insane that laughing was all he could do. Was it another car? Bert said. What? Andy asked and looked around. There was nothing that he could see but white on white. It's like Congress out there, he thought, and allowed himself to grin. Another car had to have hit it, but we couldn't see it passing because of the snow, Bert said. Uh, yeah, Andy said. Could be, sure. But then he thought about it and what it would take to decapitate a deer like that. The speed you'd have to travel to make one explode the way he was used to seeing them on the highways back home. Impact centers of guts and goo with a radius of legs and fur. Mostly those cars were going 70 miles per hour or more. Often they were big ranch pickup trucks or even school buses. But out here in this, no one could have been driving that fast. He'd been going about 15, and if he did a deer, he probably wouldn't have even killed it, let alone sent its head flying in a volley of fleshy tendrils. It's the same buck we saw earlier, Andy thought, but he dared not tell Bert. What's that? Bert asked as the wind slowed for a moment. It was the orange glare of the light coming from the overhead lighting on the front of the rest area. They had narrowly missed the flagpole and ended up on one of the sidewalks in front of the front door. They would have to plow through a little bit of snow to get there. The direction the building faced, along with the slanted overhang of blue metal roofing that started just off of the ground on the northwest side of the building, created a cover that made the snow coming from the north settle in drifts on the opposing side of the building. Someone had really thought about how bad the weather was through Shirley Basin when they designed this rest stop. Andy was glad. I think we should head inside, Andy said as he pulled his red down coat over his neck. Bert had nearly wrapped his head up in a scarf. They could both see their breath. The jeep's engine had gone cold despite having ran for hours. Bert nodded and Andy tried his door. It was frozen shut, but he pressed his legs against the middle console for leverage and dropped his shoulder near the latch. There was a clink like glass breaking, and the latch disengaged. But Andy stopped before he pushed the door all of the way open. The jeep rocked once, twice, and then Andy looked ahead at the small patch that he could still see through. A large, human-looking hand palmed the deer's head and tore it from the hood of the jeep. Andy would have shut the door and tried to drive away if a large gust of wind hadn't pulled the door from his hand and threw it open. Are you okay, Bert? Andy asked as he panted and grabbed his sides. He had never felt cold like that before. As soon as the door blew open, he'd felt the blood on his face freeze all the way up to the inside of his nostrils. The cold wind burned his skin as he pulled the scarf around his face. The snow was waist deep across the sidewalk to the front doors. But they reached the door. There was something going on in front of the rest stop, some strange commotion. 
but the cold was so terrible that Andy hadn't stopped to see. He'd grabbed Bert by the collar, pulled him kicking and shouting over the console and out of the driver's side door. Bert stumbled and screamed the whole way into the building. Andrew, what are we doing here in this hillbilly back-ass middle of fuck? Did you see them? Did you see them? Bert was shrieking in a high, shrill voice. Did I see who? Andy asked, still trying to catch his breath. Another benefit of his great ascent to paid authorship had been a lack of physical conditioning. The four-day-a-week lifting schedule and the twice-a-week trips to the racquetball court had been replaced with mochas and donuts. Those guys from the gas station, Bert said. They're, they're here. But there are more of them. My God, there are like 20 of those shirtless freaks. What? Andy asked, and then he went to the window. Looking through the jagged lines of growing frost on the glass door gave Andy a feeling like he was looking out at the world from inside the cage of some large predator's teeth. There were two groups of people, each on opposing sides of the rest area's lawn. My God, Andy thought as he watched one group of men who looked just like the blonde man from the gas station. The men were all identical, and there were women as well who were just as blonde and just as topless, their grapefruit-sized breasts topped with cherry-sized nipples. The weather was calm in the circle as the storm raged around it. Each man and woman was indistinguishable from those of the matching sex, and they all stood in a circle around a pyre made of branches. The wood itself was white with a bluish tinge. The world began to feel like it was floating around Andy as he looked at the pyre. A man sat atop the pyre like a king on his wintry throne made of branches. He was also shirtless and copper-colored with strange fur pants on, but instead of the blonde human head, there was a bloody frozen deer's head, like the head of the buck that had been removed from the hood of the jeep. They appeared to be chanting something, but it was hard to hear through the wind and similar chanting of the other group. On the other side of the lawn, there were an equal number of men, but like at the gas station, these weirdos had thick black hair and large beards. There were women of this kind too, and they had broad shoulders and watermelon-sized breasts above thick midsections. Their arms were also sheathed in thick black hair. Their legs were covered in strange black fur. They were standing in a circle, chanting with their eyes closed and their hands raised in the air. In the center of their circle, on an identical pyre, sat the largest of the dark-haired men. He was wearing the head of a dead black bear and holding the body of the beast across his laps. Both groups chanted in a strange tongue. The wind fluctuated with the chanting, and it all came to a strange and howling crescendo as the snow-white fire exploded over the pyre, the men in the center disappearing into the flames with animalistic shrieks of pain. The fire grew and grew, and as it did, the bodies of the men and women changed. On the side of the blondes, their bodies became more like deer and less like men until they were equals of both. Antlers and large ears sprouted as their knees shifted and buckled into backward-facing joints. Their necks bulged with muscles, like bucks in the rut. They began leaping higher and higher as their legs became those of animals, bare feet splitting into cloven hooves, the dead bleeding flesh dissolving into the snow and wind. The dark-haired men and women sprouted rich dark fur. Their fingertips curled into black claws and their hands grew wide and paw-like. Snouts tore through the flesh of their faces 
and large fangs pushed through their gums as broken, bloody human teeth dropped into the snow, spattering on the ground. The fires grew higher and higher until they were fifty feet high, and a gust of ice crystals and wind doused the flames, and it all disappeared into snowy silence. Andy had often wondered how he would react when faced with a life-or-death situation. He'd imagined himself in this struggle time and time again, and in each imagining, he was like Jason Bourne, tearing through the bad guys like a cleaver through a melon. Now, as he watched this open-stage fornication of the grotesque and imaginary birthing insanity into reality, he found himself closing his eyes and thinking about Maggie and Anna. Andy tried to bring Anna back into his mind, but he could only see Maggie. He opened his eyes. In the center of the circles outside, two giants had appeared. A ten-story tall buck with antlers the size of cottonwood trees stood over its worshippers who writhed on the ground in spiritual ecstasy. Its tan hide had no visible flaws and shimmered in the bright white light of the storm. The beast had large gray eyes. And where a normal deer may have looked thin, this creature, this god, was thick with building muscle. Its hamstrings rippled as it shifted its weight, veins bulging through the thick fur as its Herculean neck twisted back and forth. On the opposing side, the bear people dug into the ground with their clawed hands and gnashed their teeth as a giant bear god stood, chuffing threats towards the deer god, sending blasts of air like steam from some great engine. The giant buck stamped the ground, sending snow, concrete, and frozen earth into the air like cheap party confetti. It reared its head, and the snow swirled in the gusts of wind it created. Across from him, the giant bear god stood on its hind legs, puffed its magnificent chest, and roared. Andy could hear Bert shouting at him, but the words weren't registering. Andy! We need to hide, Andy. They haven't seen us. But it was no use. Andy could not avert his eyes. The buck charged, head down, and took the bear in the chest. The beasts were so large that they appeared to move slowly but covered great distances in an instant. The buck's blade-like antlers pierced the bear in the shoulder. The bear roared as its blood fell to the ground in drops like five-gallon buckets matting the fur of the alkalites in rich red. They fell, rejoicing in the honor. Instead of pulling away, the bear bit into the buck's antlers, gripped each side of its head with its massive paws and twisted. Both the bear and the buck crashed to the ground, and the earth beneath Andy's feet shook with the force of an earthquake. The lights inside of the rest stop went out. Bert and Andy stood in near darkness and watched as the two massive bodies rolled across the ground. Blood, fur, and fury filled the air. Around the two god beasts, the metamorphosed alkalites battled as well. One of the bearmen tore off an arm of a satyr, but another was being gored and beaten by several satyrs who were supernaturally strong and much quicker than the bearmen. This, this isn't real, Andy heard Bert repeating to himself in the background. Andy came out of the trance of disbelief and pulled Bert by the shirt into the bathroom. Bert fell to the floor, laughing like a lunatic and weeping. Get a, get a hold of yourself! 
Andy heard the words come from his mouth, but there was no will behind them. How? Bert demanded, sounding wroth. How can I get a hold of anything? There, there's nothing to grab onto. We're in, we're in hell, Andy, and your goddamn book brought us here. And I thought it would only kill my career. But I guess I'm a career man. Isn't that dedication? You hear me, Captain? Is that a big fucking tin four? Bert said as he continued to bawl laughter. A moment later, the roof caved in on top of them. Andy found himself walking down a strange corridor. It was dark, yet he could see. And he knew that there was only one way to go, and that was forward. The answer is always forward. Don't look back. Never look back, Andy thought. Maggie. The word seemed to echo through the long tunnel. Andy turned, and on the walls, like petroglyphs, were scenes from his life. When he looked at the walls, they would come to life, and he would fall into a memory. His family, the church they went to, a house with a red door, a girl with intense blue eyes and tattoos, a girl with deep blue eyes and full lips, a white dress on a beach, and then chaos. Andy turned back, and there was a figure coming down the hallway toward him. I'm dying, he thought. This is that moment, but... But go on. Go forward. Maggie! The word echoed, and he knew it was important. She was important. But who was coming towards him? He needed to find out. Was it Anna? No, he heard a whisper. But he could see her now. And it was her. It looked like her. She reached towards him, and he reached towards her. Maggie! The same thought came like a shotgun blast, but it was nearly too late. The thing coming towards him was not Anna. It was a tall, man-like creature with no features other than a wrinkled, pinkish-white skin, like that of a hairless cat stretched over sagging bones that seemed too long and loose in the joint. It reached towards him, but before it could touch him, he felt his lungs explode with pain. The creature recoiled and hissed at him. All of the physical ache of existence came roaring back into his body. The hallway disappeared, and around him, a dim light was showing through the darkness, and the creature's shocked, rage-filled screams were replaced by Bert's cries of agony. When Andy tried to lift his head, his ears filled with a sensation like the sound of an upturned old Indian rain stick like the ones they sold in the tourist traps throughout the Midwest. For a moment, he feared his head had been injured so badly that the sound was actually coming from within his head. But then he found that it was nothing more than the pebbles of safety glass falling from the debris that covered him. Andy pushed his way up, and lights exploded in front of his eyes. His head spun, and the world with it. He was vaguely aware that above him there were two giants locked in primeval battle. He could hear the roars, but he was still thinking of Maggie. Her perfect, almond-shaped, sea-blue eyes floated in front of him. Why had Anna ever seemed so important? Maggie was worthier of putting ink to page than any woman Andy had ever met. She was strong, smart, and caring. She should have been the inspiration for a romantic epic about a foolish writer who thought that the world needed his thoughts, that it mattered, that there was worth in words. The buck gained its feet and gored the bear deeply. The bear alkalites roared in unison, sharing the pain of their god. The satyrs climbed through the ruin of the rest area, 
picking through the debris with their deft man hands. They bounded through the rabble like goats hopping through the mountain's terrain. The bearmen struggled to find footing with their large, clumsily pawed feet, but persisted in pursuit. Andy crawled toward Bert, hearing sucking noises like someone trying to breathe through a mouthful of jelly. Andy found him, lying on his back, wide-eyed and searching the sky, seeing horror perhaps beyond that which was all around them. I thought we had a good one, Andy. I thought we had one that mattered. He choked as blood came from his mouth. A broken beam had ripped through his chest, and Andy knew that Bert wasn't going to make it out of this. All for my book. My goddamn contemptible book, Andy thought. They, they were wrong, Bert said. Andy, you'll see someday they were wrong. Bert's eyes opened wide, and he gasped. Andy thought he could feel something leave Bert. It was almost like wind or electricity. And then life was gone, and Andy was holding a pale mannequin of flesh. He lay Bert's head down under the snow and debris-covered floor when he felt himself hoisted into the air suddenly. A bear man picked him up with both paws, claws digging through his flesh like iron hooks. Andy screamed. A satyr charged, and the bear used Andy as a shield. Searing pain lit through his back and went into his internal cavities. Andy could feel liquid-filled organs rupture and spill. The pain was fire and acid. And then, when the satyr pulled away, he could feel the cold air in his exposed internal organs. The bear man tossed him aside, his blood and guts left to mix with the snow and freeze. Andy lay on his back, thinking of Maggie and regretting it all as the bear above him tore flesh from the shoulder of the deer god, and the deer god twisted its head, breaking off a tine into the bowels of the bear. The wind whipped and the battle endured, timeless and never-ending, as the rider and his agent lay dead together in the frozen rubble. James Cameron, he's got us now, Brett. We're pinned down here in this ditch. This is it. Resistance is futile. Brett, what can we do? Gangrene is a misunderstood pantry maverick. I don't facilitate the bunching of ducks as a political movement. And have you interrogated the zip file thoroughly, Johnson? I feel like that is the hipster. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. Damn it. Why do you have to make your speech so free? A little free, yes, that would be great. Maybe you'd have an outside-the-box, weird-ass Brett solution to this, but as it is, you're just noise. The irony, 
in order to stop the Zuckinator from impinging on our rights to free speech, I need you to be your own authority as to what is worthwhile to say and what is not. Waffles and glory. Are you all right? Oh, God, he got you. This is it, Brett. Why did it have to end this way? I'll rip out your optics. Brett, don't die, man. Now is not the time to die. I hear the afterlife has issues right now. Brett, oh, God, this is it. Any last words, man? Don't forget to water the dog wife. No! Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was Flurry by Matt Cummins. Music by Tall, Bald, and Sexy, currently dead. Oh! It was so nice of you to have a fan read this on the show. We... Or I, I guess, uh, rest in peace, Brett, have no idea who you are. You can leave now. Hey Monster Baiters, Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, now that I'm dead, please pray for my soul. And second, please review Monster Porn Podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. It only takes a minute and is the best way right now to support the show. Free Daniel says on Apple Podcasts, Pretty sweet. I've enjoyed the hell out of this podcast. I can't wait to hear more. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Free Daniel. That's awesome. C. Watson 98 says, Love, love, love. Honestly, one of my favorites to listen to. I like the readers, the authors, the humor. It's all so perfect. No, C. Watson 98, you are perfect. Thanks, Amberly Griffin, for the introduction inspired by episode 3, Two-Sided Sarah. You'll remember Amberly from bonus episode 3 and her story, The Heart of a Monster. Go check it out if you haven't already. That's it. Until next time, monster baiters. Stay weird. And Godspeed, strange cowboy. I'll rip out your opticals. Wait, I fucked that part up. Your optics. <laughs> your opticals. <laughs> Political sensitivities and social media monopolies to the point that you cannot say honk. <laughs> and according to my 23andMe results, I'm only like 2%. Toot. How can there be... <laughs> <laughs> I almost recovered. <laughs> he had a chance at a name for himself with a novella named God damn it. <laughs> novella. <laughs> novella. <laughs> titled. God damn it.
God damn it. The, the book. <laughs> Very artistic. Those indie film snobs will play swords with their boners over the screenplay rights. I don't know if that's the voice I want to use. <laughs> I love getting caught by surprise when I don't remember what you wrote. You say something about boners, and I'm like, is that really in the script? Very artistic. Those indie film snobs will play, bo- play boners with the swords. Matt, want to play boners? <laughs> oh, my God. Then he'd spent a few months on tour, sustaining himself on continental breakfasts and compliments from the handful of people who'd showed up to do his book signing. The sleeves were rolled up to show off twin tattoos of the silhouette of temptress. Tempt- Am I saying no? I'm saying that right. Why does it feel so wrong? <laughs> Why do temptresses feel so wrong, right? It now projected to never recoup the advance the publisher had given them, and eventually it would end up in a sad splash in the depths of unprofitable. I'm like, every sentence I am fucking up. You need to wee wee, Andy said. I'm not cow. I'm not cow. I'm not cow or toe. The YouTube algorithms have been feeding me hundreds of commentator videos telling me it is a problem. That's not what I wrote. Seen a single such thing on YouTube. Are you sure it's not just feeding you the something blank blah blah? I've totally lost my spot. <laughs> I don't care who did what to Hershey Highway. I'm the governor of California. Sorry. Waffles and glory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, waffles and glory.